Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Andrea Reynolds, and I serve as a deacon in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. Loving God, in whose arms we have found our identity, come amongst us to direct our faltering steps in the ways you would have us go. Teach us to walk with Christ through the distractions that beckon us in other directions. Turn our vain striving into meaningful service, our foolish greed to the fulfillment of sharing, our confusion to clarity of vision, that we might worship you truly this hour. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let us worship God. Sometimes we allow ourselves to be distracted by the things that really don't matter that much. We would rather pursue arguments than live the gospel, or debate with equals than defend the vulnerable. Sometimes we prefer to think about God instead of getting to know him, not taking the time to discern the matters of what is important to God, often forgetting the real task he is calling us to. So let us open our hearts as we confess together our sins. God of mercy, God of love, in humbleness of heart, we confess our sins. 
We forget to love and serve you. We wander from your ways. We are careless of your world and put its life in danger. We talk of our concern for others, but fail to match our words with action. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Teach us what it means to love with a whole heart. Teach us what it means to love the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves us as we are. He loves us not because we are good. He loves us, period. God loves us not because we're lovable. No, we're lovable precisely because God loves us. We are indeed forgiven. And not simply forgiven, but rejoiced over and cherished. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. share together that historic uh, creed that has bound Christians together for so many thousands of years, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. On this beautiful morning, let's take a moment to greet one another.
Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship on this, the last day of July. We are glad that you're with us. Time is going by pretty fast. School will be starting very soon. Sorry about that, guys. We're grateful that you're with us this morning, and perhaps you've come to us from just right around the corner or maybe from another corner of the world, and we're grateful that you're here and hope that you'll find this to be a place of welcome. We encourage you to fill out the friendship pads which are in the pews and uh, members especially. Take note of those folks that you may not recognize and make sure that they feel like uh, they are welcome here at Church of the Palms. And we invite you always to take a look through the bulletin at all the opportunities we have going on here in uh, summertime. It's, uh, yes, summertime is also still a busy time here where we're trying to continue to live out our mission of loving God and loving neighbor. We also invite you after the service to pick up a Connect magazine. The ushers will be there to hand one of those to you, and we invite you to take it and take it home and take a look at all the uh, things that are happening here and things that will be happening very soon and how you can be a part of all that. Also, on your way out, you may want to drop your uh, change in our two cents a meal offering uh, opportunity, so please feel free to think about that on your way out the door. We are grateful for those of you who participated in our Family Promise Ministry this week. Uh, every quarter, Church of the Palms uh, is a host to uh, a gathering of families, homeless families who don't have a place to stay. And uh, this week, we didn't do it here. We did it on behalf of another church, and we were grateful to have that chance. So thank you for your participation and your prayers through that time. We have a brand new photography display that is uh, in our church offices, our administration building. Uh, Various members of our congregation uh, have the spiritual gift of photography and uh, just quite lovely art that's available for you to go and take a look at. So we invite you after the service, uh, grab your lemonade or coffee and you might wanna make your way over to the administration building and just walk down the hall and see some beautiful (coughs) beautiful photography uh, um, coming to us uh, from members of Church of the Palms. We want to keep in our prayers the Grazeni family whose uh, son and grandson passed away suddenly, Michael Grazeni and uh, keep them in your prayers. Their service, Michael's service will be this Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. over in the campus center. Sandy Snyder is with us this morning, and if I can wrestle her away from her granddaughter, she will uh, come up and come and share with us a minute for mission on behalf of Stephen Ministry. Good morning. Galatians 6, verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The Church of the Palms has adopted a new mission statement, loving God and loving neighbor. Today I'm happy to share with you about how I believe Stephen Ministry works to fulfill scripture and this mission statement. Stephen Ministry is a one-on-one caregiving lay ministry. Dr. Kenneth Hawk in 1975 was a new pastor in a big congregation, and he realized he couldn't reach everybody he wanted to reach one-on-one. So he um, recruited some church members, and they were the first Stephen Ministry class. Since that time, 600,000 or more Stephen ministers have been trained 
in over 12,000 congregations across this country and internationally. At Church of the Palms, our program began almost 30 years ago. Paul Mercer, a dear member of our congregation, went to Dr. Bruce Porter with this dream of starting Stephen Ministry. It's okay, that's my granddaughter. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, these two men, along with the, the very first group of Stephen ministers here, began a program that has touched the lives of so many people in our congregation for so long. Many, many were trained and many, many have served us. Today, our program um, has 44 active Stephen ministers, 11 of which are St Stephen leaders, which requires an additional training period. We couldn't do what we do today at Church of the Palms without the wonderful pastoral support. Um, both Pastor Steve and Pastor Mingi were trained Stephen leaders, did the same training we did, and I would have loved to have been at the table with their training program. It would have been great. Uh, Pastor Mingi is our direct leader. We're one of the largest Stephen ministry programs in Southwest Florida. What does it take to be a Stephen minister? Well, you do not have to know the Bible by heart. And you do not need to be almost perfect like real ministers. You, you do need to have a heart for caring for others, the ability to listen attentively, and the willingness to show up and share Christ's love to people during difficult times, to pray for them and with them. There's a 50-hour training program that emphasizes confidentiality and the desire to come on board with another person for however long it takes for them to feel God's love through you. We provide the care, and God provides the cure. What does it take to need a Stephen minister? Well, who among us has not felt the difficulties that life sends our way? Grief from the loss of a loved one illness, the loss of a job, the loss of relationships, aging, loneliness, all of these challenges could require a compassionate ear. A Stephen minister may ease the process. On a personal note, I have been both a caregiver and a care receiver. It has been my pleasure and my privilege and a blessing to be involved in Stephen ministry. Thank you.
Let us pray. Most gracious and loving God, we come with joy and joyful hearts to offer you our praise and thanks. We praise you for your goodness to us, and we thank you for your mercy and your love. Bless those who teach and serve within this church, we pray. Bless the session and committees who discern your leading and make decisions for us. Give compassion to those who care for us, we pray. Be with those, O Lord, who go forth in service to the church, both near and far. Be with those who serve us in government and in the military, we pray. Safeguard those whose duty takes them into danger. We mourn for those killed, wounded, and terrorized by others' anger. We pray that you will watch over their families, villages, towns, and nations. Mindful of your command to pray, even for our enemies, we pray for all those caught, caught up in conflict this day. Give all peoples your peace, for we ask it in the name of the Prince of Peace. Compassion God, we ask your healing mercies upon those who are not well this day, or struggling with loneliness, and those who grieve, and those who are in confusion. We also pray for those who are getting ready to come home to you. We pray for your people who have been affected by disasters and accident. Give your mercy of safe travel to all those who are traveling this summer, we pray. Give us renewed joy in being your glad people, witnesses in all of life to your goodness and redemption, redemptive power, we pray. Now we bring our prayers spoken and unspoken to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And let us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, every day we live in God's grace and blessing and love. God provides for us all that we need and a lot of times even more. Now let us continue to worship God by giving of the offerings and tithings as the ushers come forward. Restaurant. 
Let us pray. Almighty and generous God, we want to be a part of your love that transforms this world. We pray and we bring ourselves and all our prayers and our offerings and gifts to you so that you may use us in your work that transform the world with your love and grace. We bring these and ourselves for your acceptance in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated as the children come forward to have a special time with a special person. Don't be afraid. <laughs> come on forward, gang. <clears throat> All right. Anybody under the age of 70, come forward. No, I'm like, yeah. Um. 
Hello, everybody. You guys can come out and squeeze over here. Excellent, excellent. Good to see you all. You got the B team today, and I am so glad to be here. Can anybody tell me what this is? Huh? Yes? A baseball. Uh, baseball. Can anybody tell me? You want to grab that? Pass it to your neighbor. Just keep passing it around. Can anybody tell me? Pay attention. Pass it over here. There we go. <laughs> There's the baseball right there. See? There you go. Pass it back. Back you go. Can anybody tell me what is unusual about that baseball? What is, makes that baseball more special than any other baseball? Any guesses? Kind of looks like every, any old kind of baseball, doesn't it? Huh? Okay. I don't see any guesses. All right. Well, this baseball is pretty special because it has a signature on it. It's very, very hard to see. And the signature, see the signature? Really hard to see. Kind of very faint. It's because I've had it too long and it's fading away. The signature is of one Stan Musial. Now, I'm guessing you don't know who Stan Musial is. <laughs> well, Stan Musial, what you're going to do is you're going to go at home and Google Stan Musial or ask your grandparents, because your parents probably won't even know who Stan Musial is, and you'll find out uh, that he played for the greatest baseball team of all Major League Baseball. And um, you will find that out who that team is when you go ask your grandparents or Google it. Stan Musial, remember that, okay? Signature is what makes the baseball unusual. I've got here, let's see, a book. And it's a book written by, who's it written by? Can anybody tell me? Ann Patchett, okay? Author I kind of like, I like to read her. And you know, but this is just a book. I see it costs $16.99, too much money. But anyway, and what makes this book unusual? Anybody have an idea? Kind of looks like a regular book. See, you've got the price tag on the back. Well, what's unusual about this book is that it's signed by Ann Patchett. No, not by Stan Musial. <laughs> uh, <laughs> by Ann Patchett. The author signed it. So that's what makes this book very, very special. So I've got here a painting that hangs in my office and I brought it to show you. It's a, you know, kind of an interesting painting. It's a painting of a what? House. Uh, house? House of? Faith. Huh? House of Faith. House of Faith. Uh, church, right? There you go. And what is, makes this painting so special to me is what? It's signed by the painter, by the creator, George Derbyshire, who was a member of my first church, painted this painting in prison. And that's what makes this such an amazing painting for me because it's a painting and the caption is a future with faith. George had a future with faith even when he was in prison. So. That's what makes this painting very special. And last but not least, let's see. I got a picture of a guy who won the gold medal in the 1972 Olympics, US runner. His name, Dave Waddle, and he signed his picture for me. Isn't that nice? So there's something common about all these things, and what is that? Yes? They're all signed. They're all signed. 
brilliant, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And you know what? That's kind of amazing because you know that's really what makes something very special, right? When it is signed by its creator, when it's signed by somebody special. So why do I mention all those things? Well, guess what? You are signed. Hmm. Huh? Where's the marker? Yeah. Well, I'm not talking about tattoos now. Um, you are signed by your creator. You know what? Genesis in the book, in, in the Bible tells us that when God created us, he created us in his image. In other words, he signed his autograph on every single one of us. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what part of the world you're from, what color you are, you are signed by the Creator. You are incredibly special because you have the Creator's autograph on you. God says, there is no one like you and you are my creation and I put my signature on you. Never forget that. No matter where you go in life, you have been signed, you are special because the Creator created you. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, O oh God, for this great day. We're grateful that you created us in your image. You put your signature on us. We have your autograph imprinted in our souls. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you will help us to live into all of what you want us to be. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can head off to Children's Church. Off you go.
You may be seated. We are grateful to have Thea Lobo with us this morning, all the way from Booker High School via the New England Conservatory and in, from concert halls throughout the world. And we're grateful that Thea has returned to be Sarasota and especially to be with us here this morning. So thank you for your incredible gifts. We are also in grateful for the incredible gifts of our Stephen ministers and our Stephen leaders. This is truly one of the amazing ministries of the church, people who go through this training and who allow their lives to walk alongside of the lives of others, to journey with folks as they go through the great struggles of life. Uh, as Sandy mentioned, you don't have to have a degree, you only need to have a heart. And we invite you to consider being a Stephen minister uh, when the next Stephen ministry training class is scheduled. We are looking today at another psalm, and we are in Psalm 107. We are not going to read the entire psalm, it's 43 verses, but we'll read the first nine verses, and then another text from the New Testament not printed in your bulletin. So hear the word of God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them to a straight way until they reached an inhabited town. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and the hungry. He fills with good things. And then our second lesson is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at the first verse. The Apostle Paul writes and says, it is necessary to boast. Nothing is to be gained by it, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I, I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I, and I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is made perfect in weakness, so. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, 
I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace, and even through the weakness of these words, we pray that you will allow your spirit to speak, if only to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name, amen. One of the unique things about being Christian is that our teacher, Jesus of Nazareth, was primarily a storyteller. Certainly he had other forms of teaching, sermons, lectures, maxims, proverbs. But what we most know Jesus for are his parables, his stories. Parables in particular are stories intended to surprise us, to kind of wake us up. Parables are stories that you don't know are about you until you get to the end. Parables are jokes that you don't know until the punchline that the joke is kind of on you. Parables are stories that quicken your conscience. Last week I read the story of the Good Samaritan, a story prompted by a lawyer's question. The lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And instead of Jesus preparing a legal brief in response, Jesus just tells him a story. A story that the lawyer does not realize is about him until it gets to the end. Stories are, parables are these stories that provoke a response, if only to ask ourselves, What does this mean for me? What does it mean, for example, for me to say I have a neighbor? What does it mean for me to say I love my neighbor? It's one thing for Jesus just to say love your neighbor. It's another thing for Jesus just to tell a story about it. I'm guessing if Jesus were asked today about all the political issues that are being debated, he might just respond by telling a story. So all this is to say that many moons ago, while in seminary and considering the ministry, I read a book by Howard Kleinbell on pastoral counseling. And Kleinbell, in this book about how to be a pastoral counselor, begins by thinking about the mission of the church and the mission of serving others. And then he shares this parable, a parable originally composed by Richard Wheatcroft. And the parable goes this way. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and with no thought for themselves, went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. And many lives were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. And some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews trained. The little life-saving station grew. 
Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They, they felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. And, and now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. And they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on the life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed, though, in the club's decoration, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowning people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had black skin, and some had yellow skin, and the new beautiful club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where the victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. The next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members, though, insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast, and they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. It is this parable that comes to mind when I read the 107th Psalm. Psalm 107 is a song about the gathered people of God. As Christians, when we read this psalm, we think of the church, we think of the gathered community of Christians. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, says the psalmist, those whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. We have, according to the psalmist, we have been gathered in by God from trouble. We are the community that has been rescued from trouble. We are the shipwrecked victims who have been pulled from the sea. We are the dripping wet and the shivering, grateful for a hot shower and a clean set of clothes. The psalmist, to make his point, employs a host of metaphors. We were once a, a lost people wandering in the desert, our mouths and souls parched, desperate for a drink of living water. We were once the imprisoned, bound by whatever forces within and without, locked up and helpless to find release. We were once the infirmed and weak, riddled either by the illnesses of our own devising or by the contagions of the world. We once were the wrecked and drowning, tossed to and fro by the stormy sea. In other words, the psalmist says, life ain't easy. It's a dangerous world out there, and sometimes it's even a dangerous world in here. Sometimes the ship sails on placid seas, and sometimes she's tossed to and fro, and sometimes she even breaks up. 
Sometimes the hike is through shady forest with well-marked paths, and sometimes is through barren sands without a compass. But at the end of the day, according to the psalmist, we who count ourselves as the children of God, we are the rescued ones. We are the ones pulled from the stormy sea. We are the ones saved from the hot sands. We are the ones unlocked from the prison cell. We are the ones healed from the wasting illness. Let us not forget this, says the psalmist. We are gathered here not by virtue of our virtue, not by the benefit of our wit and wisdom. We are gathered here not by the merit of our intellect. <laughs> we are gathered here because we got pulled from the sea, lifted from the desert. This is our story. Our story as a people from the very beginning is a story of rescue and grace and redemption and release and by God's grace, new beginnings. Pope Francis calls the church the field hospital for the wounded. <laughs> and that means me and that means you. You know, it is interesting how much we do spend uh, so much of our lives making sure everybody thinks that we have our acts together. <laughs> that somehow either we have managed to avoid the stormy waters and the desert sands or somehow we were smart enough or strong enough or whatever it took to get ourselves out of our own trouble. Good thing I got the brains. Good thing I got the good job. Good thing I got picked for the right school. We are tempted to tout our resumes. Now, no one believes more than in achievement than me. I grew up with a good old Protestant work ethic. You know, there's nothing in this world that a little hard work won't cure, was what my good father would say to me. But in the end, we are not the gathering of hard workers. We are not the gathering of smart people. We are not the gathering of lucky dogs. We are the community of people who know that life is difficult and that not everybody gets dealt the same hand. And sometimes the black clouds hit the horizon before you know it. And sometimes you get lost. And sometimes life really hurts. Sometimes things are beyond your control. Sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need grace. Sometimes you need rescue. Sometimes you need loved. And it's okay to admit in this place that you don't have your act together. Xavier Le Pichon, the great French geophysicist, is acknowledged to be the pioneer of the geological study of plate tectonics. Do not think that I understand what I'm talking about here. 
But as far as I understand it, plate tectonics is the theory that the continents and the Earth's crust are always shifting. That, that while centuries of scientists assumed that the geological formation of the Earth's continents were static and had always been, Lepichon discovered that actually the Earth is always shifting and the continents are always moving. The ground is, whether we know it or not, always moving under our feet. The Earth is always shifting. Now, Lepichon, a deeply spiritual man and practicing Catholic wonders, if there isn't more to this than just the earth, than just the earth's crust, that maybe the truth is all of life is shifting. The tectonic plates of our souls, of our families, of our 401ks, of our health, of our politics, it's all shifting. The tectonic plates are all moving under our feet, but also within our hearts, and all life is fragile in the face of changing forces, and that the deepest truth we could discover about ourselves is our fragility, our vulnerability, our need for help, <laughs> our need for rescue. Dorothy Day the great 20th century Christian social pioneer who dedicated her life on behalf of the church to serve the poor would often speak at the time when she was a young girl, eight years old, living in San Francisco, and one night, April 18, 1906, as she laid sleeping under her, the earth shook. Around her, the house swayed. It was the great San Francisco earthquake. The earthquake, she writes, started with a deep rumbling, and the convulsions of the earth started after that, so that the earth became a sea which rocked our house in a most tumultuous manner. In my big brass bed, I rolled back and forth across the polished floor. Dorothy and her family became refugees across the bay in Oakland, making camp in a nearby park. And she saw something there, the memory of which never left her. While the crisis lasted, she wrote, people loved each other. It was as if they were united in Christian solidarity. It makes one think of how people could, if they would, care for each other in times of stress, unjudgingly in pity and love. Later, Dorothy Day wrote, let's build a society where it's easier for people to be good to each other. I'm guessing that's what the psalmist had in mind and what Jesus had in mind, is that when the people of God are gathered from the east and from the west and the north and from the south, that they see themselves first and foremost as the rescued ones, the ones delivered from the storms and the sands and the quakes, and that maybe it becomes then for us a little easier to unjudgingly care for someone else. We are the community of the rescued and the rescuing. When you have been brought in on the lifeboat, it's easier to go back out on the lifeboat. No one thinks to ask a drowning man whether he deserves to be saved. <laughs> you know, the Apostle Paul was never accused of being touchy-feely. If there were, was ever an achievement kind of guy, he was it, driven. 
driven by the gospel, driven by his yearning to share the good news that we are saved by grace, rescued from the stormy sea. And in this letter from which I wrote, Second Corinthians, the apostle lets down his guard and talks about his own pain, his wound, his thorn and the flesh. Three times, he says, he begs the good Lord to take this mysterious thorn from him, but to no avail. Instead, the good Lord says to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is made perfect in weakness. And later the apostle writes, so then, whenever I'm weak, then I am strong. Whenever I'm weak, then I am strong. Whenever I remember the stormy sea from whence I came, the unmerited lifeboat that paddled to my side, the, the gathering of people that welcomed my dripping body, the table from which I was fed, the font from which I was cleansed, Whenever I remember the lost parts of me, even now, that still need rescue. Amazing then, what room my heart gives to those who are barely treading water. When I am weak, <laughs> then I am strong. So maybe what the world most needs is just a little more weakness. Just a few more people in touch with their own rescue so as to want to rescue someone else. Unjudgingly, no questions asked, unconditional. One beggar telling another beggar where she found food. Wounded healers, Henry Nowen called us. For it is in our weakness where we find what? It's in our weakness where we find our kindness, right? Whenever I understand that the world is not always a safe place for me and for you, well then I can then see through my wounds, your wounds, and then maybe I become kind. Before you know kindness, writes the poet Naomi Shihab Nye, before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know the sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you into the day to gaze ahead, only kindness that raises its head from the crowd and the world to say, it is I, it is I you have been looking for and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. Whenever I am weak, says the apostle, then I'm strong. 
Whenever I am wounded, says the priest, then I am healer. Whenever I find sorrow, says the poet, then I find kindness. Rescued and now rescuer. Some kind of punchline.
may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.